ask that it's accurate, balanced, and clear, and that we walk away, Lord, with the word that might help us to do a better job of being salt and light, Lord. May you be edified in this service. May you be glorified, actually, and may we be edified. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Okay, so Jesus did this amazing prayer, uh, teaching on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. He taught on a lot of subjects that we're going to try to get to in the next few weeks. But one of the things I wanted to just share with you in 30 minutes or less today was what Jesus had to say about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus covered so many topics. So, you know, for the rest of the year, between now and Christmas, because Tim will be preaching on Christmas Day. So for the sermons that I have up until Christmas, Reg is going to be preaching in October on, on, the, on a Sunday, and, and Todd's going to be preaching the first Sunday of November. He's going to be here in Ohio. On, on the Sundays that I have remaining, I wanted to cover the Sermon on the Mount. I would ask you, I would behoove you to please read Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 on the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' greatest teachings ever throughout the Bible, and condense into these three chapters, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. So many topics he covered in this sermon. Some experts have said, experts, some Bible students have said he taught this over a matter of days, maybe weeks, that it wasn't perhaps at one sitting. It could have been done at one sitting. You could certainly read those three chapters in about 20 minutes. Um, if it's a condensed version of Jesus' sermon, then that could explain why they thought it might occur over multiple days. But I would, I would advise you to read the Sermon on the Mount multiple times because there's so many nuggets in there that it's really a lot to process. So I just want to process one thing this morning, and that is what Jesus said about prayer, which I think is an amazing topic in and of itself, which we could do a series on. But I just want to just lift one or two thoughts out of the idea of prayer. And here's what he said in Matthew 6. This is sort of the middle chapter. Matthew 5 was mostly the Beatitudes. He talked about salt and light. He talked about forgiveness. He talked about witnessing. And then in Matthew 6, he moves to this subject of prayer. It could be the same parallel when the disciples said in Luke, Master, teach us to pray as John the Baptist's disciples prayed. I'm thinking that it's part of, part of that same narrative where they, he, he was, Jesus was asked for instructions on how to pray. And I had to think about that for a second because I thought, how do you, why would you need instructions on how to beg? Who, who doesn't know how to ask for something? Who, who, I mean, even, even one of the little babies, they know when they're hungry. <coughs> Excuse me. They know when they're hungry, and they know when they need something to eat or drink, right? I think Jesus, um, excuse me, one second. I think Jesus did them a great service by teaching them how to pray. But I'm wondering, <clears throat> why was the question even necessary? So I looked here in Matthew 5, and here's what it says in verse 5. I love this. It says, and when thou prayest, King James Version, King James Version for Matthew 5, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 6, verse 5, and when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. 
for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, whenever Jesus used the words verily, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, he means I really need you to hear this. This is really, really important. Like, hello, everybody. Can I have your attention? Or this is really urgent. This is really critical. That's what verily means. We don't say that anymore. You know, we don't say that today. We don't say verily, verily, I say unto you. Have you guys, you know, have you seen Rod's new car? You know, we wouldn't say that, right? <laughs> You know, we, would, we don't use that word. We don't have that same, uh, that's not part of our lexicon of words and our vocabulary today. But Jesus said, verily I say unto you. In other words, I got something really critical that I want to say to you. And when he's saying that, he's really saying, please pay attention. He says, because people stand in the synagogues and stand on the corners of the street praying that they may be seen of men, he said, they have their reward. You all still with me? Okay, now watch the next verse. He says, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father, which is in secret, and thy father, which have seeth thee, which seeth thee in secret, shall reward thee openly. Verse 7, but when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like them, for your father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask. I'm just going to stop right there because that's all I really want to cover. I'm not even going to get into the Lord's Prayer part of it because that's really, that's really not what I want to talk about. I don't, I don't really want to talk about the content of prayer I really want to talk about the purpose and I want to talk about the presentation of prayer. I want to talk about more of the motives involved in prayer as opposed to the ingredients that we say in the prayer. And that, that I think I can do in a short order. So the, the first thing I'm noticing that when Jesus talks to them about prayer is that he's given the negatives don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't pray standing in the synagogue. Don't pray that you might be seen of men. Don't pray so that people will say, look how spiritual you are and look how great you are. Don't pray using a lot of vain repetitions, which is basically going through the motions. So he's giving these do nots. He's saying, don't do that. Don't pray so that other people can hear how articulate you are or how you know versatile you are or how eloquent you speak, or how knowledgeable you are of scripture. He's saying, don't do that. that that's just not cool at all. He's saying, don't pray for those reasons. Don't pray so that other people can compliment you. Don't be pious. Don't wear your faith on your sleeves. That's hypocritical. The Bible says that if you do stuff like that, if you wear your spirituality, if you wear your righteousness outwardly, he said, you already have your reward and you have nothing coming from me. Amen. That's not a first century problem. 
That's also a 21st century problem. People today do a lot of stuff for public consumption. People today do a lot of things so that people can notice them and speak highly of them or say, look how heavy and deep they are. Look how spiritual they are. Look how, you know, whatever, they, how blessed they are. A lot of people do stuff for public approval. And Jesus is saying, stop it. Don't do that. Why settle for their approval? Why settle for that little reward when I can do so much more for you? Don't, let, don't, don't settle for a reward down here by one another when God is prepared to give us so much more, not only later, but even right now. You all with me? Even right now. I think it's an amazing point. So three things about prayer. Three quick things. Number one, prayer at its most fundamental level, its most common denominator, make a note of this, prayer is simply communion. It's continual communion, but it's communion all the same. You can pray without using words. You can pray without making a sound. I'm not saying that you should all the time, but I'm saying that when Paul says in 1 Thessalonians that we pray without ceasing, what he's really meaning there in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 is that we should always operate with prayer as a set of mind, a state of mind where we're thinking about the Lord, cognizant of him, aware of him at all times. There's no other way you can pray without ceasing unless you're praying with, with a constant awareness and consciousness. Sometimes you're not even conscious, but you know that you're in God's presence and God got you covered. So prayer is about communion. And, and, and before I go to the next point, by the way, all three of them start with a C. Prayer equals communion plus confidence. It's there in your notes. Plus what? Confession. So here's the communion part. Adam and Eve, first prayer. You want to know how things should be done? Start at the beginning. When Adam and Eve were in, guard, in the garden in Genesis 3, we know that they had communion with the Lord on a daily basis because one day they didn't show up and God let them know about it. Where art thou? God said to, God, God said to Adam and Eve, where art thou? And by the way, I love that question because when I saw that where, the first thing I thought about was, I thought about when God said, where are you, Elijah? When he was hiding in the cave, remember that? Elijah said, where are you? Why are you in this cave? What are you doing in the cave, dude? You're one of the greatest prophets in all of the Bible. You have this amazing power that I've given you. You've, you've destroyed the prophets of Baal. You've, through the help of the Lord, you raised a, a son from the dead. You, you know, a, a, with Elijah, an iron floated. How are you... How are you, Elijah, who's going to be the mentor of Elijah, who will have twice your anointing? How are you hiding in a cave? Where are you? In other words, what are you doing here? You're not where you need to be. There's another occasion, by the way, where the Lord in, this, in the New Testament used that where are you sentence, that, that basically call to action sentence. And that was, remember, in John 11. When Jesus was summoned by Mary and Martha, you, my brother Lazarus is sick, the one you love. Can you come check on him? 
Can you come help? Lazarus is dying. It was a plea of desperation. And remember what Jesus did? All he did was just basically say, hey, I got a little more work to do. And hung around four more days wherever he was. I guess he felt like, hey, I got this. What, what, what a confidence that should have given Mary and Martha that the Lord doesn't need to come right away. The Lord may not come when you want him, as we say, but he's always right on time, right? He's always on time, even if he's late, he's on time. <laughs> Lazarus was dead. The Lord was still on time. But here's what, I want, here's what I want to say about that. When the Lord got there and Mary was in the house being comforted by her friends, Martha came to meet Jesus with her coalition of people. And Jesus said, where have you laid him? Check it out in Luke 11. I mean, John 11, it's there. Where have you? In other words, Jesus didn't need information. He knew where Lazarus was. How many places can you put a dead body? Well, I guess you could say, unless you're Jimmy Hoffa and the Mafia, maybe you might be able to hide a body for six decades. But in essence, the Lord knew where Lazarus was. He wasn't asking where he was for information. He wasn't asking for GPS settings or any sort of physical designation or an address. The question really was, where is he? Do you believe that I can raise him from the dead? That was really the nuanced part of the question. It was more about, do you believe that I can get him out of the tomb? The Lord knew where he was. He wanted to hear them say, he's, he stinks by now. He's been dead for yet four days. He's beyond rigor mortis. He's in the decaying stage. He's starting to rot. What do you mean, where is he? What Jesus was doing was throwing them a lifeline. Do you believe that I can do what you want done regardless of the state of condition that Lazarus is in. Prayer is about communion, being in his presence. Genesis 3 says that the Lord said, where are you? And who told you you were naked? And what have you done? I looked at those questions very closely and I was amazed by them in Genesis 3. The Lord asked three questions, three W questions. Where, who, what? Where are you? Who told you you were naked? And what have you done? And the Lord knew the answer to all three questions before he asked, right? He wasn't asking Adam and Eve, where are you? Like he couldn't find them. He wasn't asking them who told you you were naked. Like he didn't know who, who was the only guy. Who, there's only two of us in the room, me and the devil. Who I know who told you you were naked. And what have you done? Of course the Lord knew that they had sinned and eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That wasn't the reason for the question. The reason for the questions, the Lord was trying to give them an opportunity to confess, to come clean. I love what the Lord says in Isaiah 59, 1. He says, the Lord's hands is not shortened that he cannot save, nor is his ear heavy or dull in some translations that he cannot hear. He said, but your sins have separated you between, God, between you and your God, and he will not hear you. God knows where we're at. He knows what we're done, what we've done. He knows where we're, what we're doing. He is waiting for us to come clean and confess and say, Lord, I messed up. Lord, I've fallen short. Lord, I'm not right. Lord, something is happening with me, and I've just had a crisis of faith, and I've moved away from you, and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. 
He says in Psalms 51 that a broken and contrite heart will he in no wise cast out, right? He doesn't cast out brokenness. God does not cast out contrition. If we just say, I'm sorry, if we just come to grips, come to terms with him, he will forgive us. He says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and wait for it, wait and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He goes the extra mile. Communion. Just hang out with the Lord. Don't make prayer so much about formalities. Don't make prayer so much about being on your knees or on your face or in your sanctuary or at your home altar. Make prayer about communion. I think we would pray more if we could get this concept through our heads that prayer is not about position or posture as much as is it about presence and communion with God. That would help us become greater prayer warriors if we realize that when we're spending time in the word, that is also time in prayer. That we're asking the Lord to let this word sink in our hearts. So we make our study time our prayer time. We make our prayer time our study time. We make our quiet time our prayer time. We make our music time our prayer time. We make our drive time our prayer time. We make our downtime our prayer time. Any chance we get to think about the Lord, to say thank you, to say I love you, to say I need you, to say I want you, to say I'm, I desire you, to say I want to hear your voice, I want to feel your presence. That is prayer time. The second thing really quickly, because I'm trying to keep this to 30 minutes or less. The second thing really quickly is confidence. First John 5, 14 and 15 is just so amazing, guys. You got to read this throughout the week. And here's what he says really quick. I'm just going to read it. In the New American Standard, this is the confidence that we, ha that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we will have the request that we have asked him for. I love it. Prayer is not about getting what we want on earth. Prayer is about getting what God wants done in heaven. It's about his will. You look, you look at the Lord's Prayer, or also known as the Disciples' Prayer. It says, hallowed be thy name, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Watch this. Wait for it. Thy will be done. Prayer is always about facilitating God's will. Getting what God wants done. Getting what God wants accomplished. Are you guys with me? Do you wonder sometimes why your prayers aren't answered? Or why God delays? Or why things seem to take forever? Or why there's not movement in your life? Or why you're not reaching your goals spiritually? Or physically? Or financially? Or, or materially? Maybe sometimes you're not getting there because that's not what God wants. And you may have to abandon that, Lord. This is what I think I want. But if you have something better for me, I'll take it. Help me to come to grips with that. Help me to understand that it's not always what I want and what I see and what I think is best. I surrender to you. I, I, love, I love that passage in 1 John 5, 14 and 15. I love it because he says that we shall have the request. He doesn't, matter of fact, he doesn't even say that we will um, 
have the request. He says, but we know that we have the request that we ask in the King James Version. If you look at, he gives us that confidence. I think Gloria this morning said in, in, in our class about what faith is. And if you look at Hebrews 11.1, 1, it gives us the definition of faith. Now faith is. Now faith is what? The substance of things hoped for. That means, substance means it's material. It's proof. It's tangible. I got it. Substance of things hoped for. Evidence of things not seen. Here's the last one. I'll let you go. Here's the last one. And that is confession. And what is confession, Pastor? Well, I thought you already talked about confession when you said we should confess our sins according to Isaiah 59.1. Confess our sins according to 1 John 1.9. Confess our sins according to Psalms 51. Yes, this is a different type of confession. This is not a confession of sins. Let me review for a second. Prayer is communion, hanging out with God, being conscious that God is everywhere present. He's omnipresent, right? You all with me? God is everywhere present, so we're always in his presence. So we can't, like, go into our prayer closet to get in God's presence. Otherwise, God wouldn't be omnipresent. God is everywhere present at the same time. He's omnipotent and he's omniscient. He knows all things. Prayer is not, the purpose of prayer is not to inform God or to instruct God or to counsel God. The purpose of prayer is to commune with God. So we commune with him by being aware that he is present, that he is here, that he is everywhere, that he is cognizant of my existence, that he's aware that I have a problem, that he's aware that I'm looking for him to help me, right? So that's communion. Secondly, I said that prayer is also about confidence. That is trust, knowing that God's going to get the job done because God's responsibility is to honor his will and his word. So I trust in him. I believe in him. So I have, I have communion and I have confidence because God is, it's impossible for God to fail and it's impossible for God to lie. Amen. And then this last point is prayer is confession, not a confession of sin necessarily, but a confessing of agreeing with God. My prayer, Lord, agrees with you. My prayer is, listen, because I'm going to close with this point. Prayer is not only to you. My prayer is not only about you. My prayer is in concert with you. I want what you want. I want what's best for you, Lord. We say, I say this in my prayer all the time. Lord, may you be glorified. May we be edified. What I'm really saying is, Lord, I want to be on the same boat that you're on. I want to be in concert with you. I want to agree with you. Amen? And watch, there's one, there's one amazing passage that talks about that in the Old Testament, which is my concluding uh, uh, statement for today. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, the amazing prayer in my top five prayers of prayers. You guys go home and read it this week. The prayer of King Jehoshaphat. Who knows who King Jehoshaphat was? Okay, who's going to know who King Jehoshaphat is by next Sunday? 
Second Chronicles, Sister Ethel, chapter 20, verse 5. Here's what it says real quickly. It says, Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And here's, here's, watch this part right here. Watch this part of the prayer. This is one of the most amazing prayers in Scripture because it has the components that I just shared with you. It has, it has the idea of, commun of communion. It has the idea of confession. It has the idea of confidence. Watch this prayer. It's beautiful. It says, and he said, who is he? King Jehoshaphat. They're in trouble, by the way. Listen, they're in trouble. They're in trouble. Imagine, imagine if Germany, Russia, and China combined all their armies and attacked the United States. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about a 10 to 1 ratio. The odds of winning are slim because we're outnumbered. They could just keep sending soldiers and sacrifice them, and we would have no choice but to concede. That's the kind of situation that Judah was in. Lord, we, we have no numbers. We have no armament. There were no nuclear weapons back then. They couldn't drop a bomb on Syria and the other nations. <clears throat> they had no other choice. Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, which is Syria, were coming to destroy Israel. And I love what Jehoshaphat, just the truth of this prayer is just so good. He says, oh, Lord, the God of our fathers. And I'm just saying in Jesus' name right now, the devil's not going to take my voice. I may stumble through this, but I'm going to get through this. If I have to like spell it out on a blackboard, I'm going to tell you guys what I'm going to share what this says, because I believe that the enemy will want us not to know the comfort and the confession of prayer. Here's what King Jehoshaphat said. Oh, Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? Of course, these are rhetorical questions. What he is doing is he is agreeing with God. He is restating what God has said. He is confessing what the scripture says. By the way, when you pray, a good thing to do when you're praying at home, pray with your Bible open and read your Bible as you're praying and say back to the Lord the things that he has said to you. Say back to the Lord the things he has said about himself. Say back to the Lord the promises that he has made in his word. Say back to the Lord the things that are written in his word. Say them out loud. Let your ears hear what the word is saying. Let your eyes see what the word is saying. Let your fingers trace what the word is saying. Make every part of your senses Connect with the word of God because it makes it memorable. He says, are you not ruler over all the nations and all the kingdoms? He says, power and might are in your hand so that no one can stand against you. Did you not, oh, our God, drive out the inhabitants, inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? I shouted that out for persons. He's agreeing with God. Of course he knows all of that, right? He's stating the obvious for the sake of faith, because faith comes by hearing Romans 10, 17, right? Y'all with me? I'm almost done. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. King Jehoshaphat is restating the opposite, obvious, but what he's really doing is he's reinforcing the word of God in the minds of the people so they can hear God's word in their ears and believe it in their hearts. So I'm going to go on down to the end. At the very beginning, at the very end, verse 12, 
I love how Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat, concludes his prayer. He says, Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are on you. How many times have you guys been in that situation where you just, you didn't know what to do? You, you didn't have any way out. You didn't see how there would be food. You didn't see how there would be money. You didn't see how there would be utilities. You didn't see how there would be a job. You didn't see how God could deliver you from this ailment, this disease, this disorder, this, this affliction. You didn't see God, God would deliver you from this relationship problem, the problem with your boss, the problem with your neighbors, the problem with your instructors, the problem with your co-workers, the problem with your spouse. You didn't see out. a way out. You saw no daylight. So you were powerless. You were just like Judah and King Jehoshaphat. And don't you know God already knows that, but he wants to hear us say it. He wants to see that surrender. He wants to hear that confession. Oh my goodness. I, I, I can't do this justice. I can't. I'm trying, Lord. I'm trying, but I just feel like this is just such a reality for us. Good word. Good word. I can bless us if we will take hold of this and we will believe that spending time in communion with God. And having that confidence that his will will be done and confessing, that is agreeing, restating, accepting his word as he has said, as Jehoshaphat did here in 2 Chronicles, it will bring about results. By the way, in case you didn't know the end of the story, the Lord gave Judah, the Lord gave Judah victory, complete victory. I tell you, you send Judah first. Judah means praise. You send Judah first. <laughs> you send Judah first and watch what God does. God, God came back through the choir director. <laughs> God sent the message through the choir director. He sent the message through the singer. He said, Gehazio, come here, boy. You go down there and you tell them, folks, y'all ain't got to fight in this battle. You don't have to lift a weapon. You don't have to fight one soldier. The battle is the Lord's. And you already have the victory. All you need to do is sing and shout and praise and glorify God. And lift up your voice and lift up your hands. Because I have given you the victory. Jesus, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, you've given us the victory. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Lord, we just thank you for this sermon this morning. We ask that this word will just stay in our hearts, that it will resonate in our hearts, that it will be rhema to us, life-giving spirit, life-giving energy, life-giving power throughout the week. Lord, may you be glorified all week, every day this week. And may we be glory, may we be edified because we're in your presence. We're in communion with you. 
we're in confidence with you and we confess your word and we thank you in advance in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Mm.